Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag, like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. doing my research for today's podcast, I realized that we probably need three podcasts dedicated to pitching. But welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Kokomo Friday, part two of our starting pitcher preview for the 2021 season. Frank Stanfield joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers. So the goal for today is to get through about 20 to 30 more starting pitchers in ADP. Whatever we don't get to today, we'll do some starting pitcher leftovers next week after our relief pitcher preview. How are we doing, gentlemen? Ready to talk more pitchers? Uh, I thought that you guys brought the energy yesterday, which I appreciate. So... You ready? You excited? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Energy. No. That's always a fantastic start I'm, to the podcast. I'm, I'm going to run through a wall for you, Frank. <laughs> I appreciate that. And you know, let's get things started with Chris today because I know that he's dying to talk about one Tyler Glass now. So let's jump right into ADP. And three starting pitchers are going in the fifth round. We'll pick up where we left off yesterday. Tyler Glass now at pick 50. Kent Maeda at pick 53. Lance Lynn at pick 55. And Tyler Glass now in particular, he just seems like the ultimate risk-reward play. Uh, we know the stuff is nasty. K per nine, up over 14 strikeouts last year, which would have ranked first just ahead of Shane Bieber. Uh, but of course, Tyler Glass now does lack control, and there's a bit of an injury history there. So, Chris, what did you have on Tyler Glass now that you wanted to let us know? I guess the first thing would be: Are we sure there's that much reward with him? Um, I know he was amazing in 2019, but when we're talking about reward, it, it's like we talked about with Walker Bueller yesterday. If there are innings concerns, and in Glasnow's case, just like Bueller, I think probably uh, a de facto innings limit, how much upside can there be? That's not even getting into the fact that he had a 408 ERA and a 366 FIP last season, which are fine. You would be happy with those if you got 14 strikeouts per nine, but... Unlike most players, when you, when you say, oh, well, 2020 was a small sample size, you can't put too much weight on that. It was a, a slightly bigger sample size than 2019 in terms of batters faced. He actually faced more batters in 2020 than 2019. So I don't know if he does 2019 again and throws 140 innings, he's going to be awesome. And he'll probably be, probably be worth the, the top, uh, what, 15 or 20 rank he's got in ADP at starting pitcher. But I just, I don't think it's worth gambling on. I'll say two things in defense of Tyler Glass now, who I'm generally not high on. I think he's being overdrafted, but you know, 
I, I do think the reward is there, 14.3K per nine. I mean, that's obviously amazing. The Rays kind of handled their pitching differently from every or other organization, it seemed like, uh, last year. Remember, when when they were uh, teams were ramping up again in July, we were surprised at how quickly pitchers were getting to five and six innings. Clearly, mm-hmm. they weren't starting over from square one. But with Rays pitchers, it seems like they were. They, they were like the one organization consistently. I, they just, I, I guess, they 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 made a decision not to have these guys throw that much during the shutdown. So, um, you know, early on, Glass now last season was basically limited to four innings to start, and it was pretty shaky. And then, you know, once he got a few starts under his belt, he really took off, and the numbers uh, were pretty dominant the rest of the way. I believe he had a strong playoff performance too. Uh, so I, I do think the upside is high, but you look through his history and there are a lot of four inning starts mixed in with seven inning starts and he pitches for the Rays who are, are just inclined to do that sort of thing. We know how much they, they held Blake Snell back over the past few years. Blake Snell got out of there, but glass now is still there. And uh, as careful as they've been with glass now, you know, in past seasons after a season win between the playoffs and the regular season, he threw how many innings he threw about 90 innings, they're going to be pretty careful with them again. And 150 innings is probably the ceiling. Yeah. So, Scott, to answer your your question, I don't think it was a question, but you brought up his postseason. His postseason was actually dreadful for uh, for Tyler oh, okay. Glass now. He allowed 20, okay. 20 earned runs in 28 and two-thirds. That's a 6.28 ERA. The walks were out of control, 5.3 walks per nine for Glass now in the postseason. So uh, I think that's part of the risk with him. And, of course, he had the forearm injury in 2019, which limited him. So those two things can, uh, together, I think, are considerable risks. Um Basically, we're all in agreement that uh, Tyler Glass now is being overdrafted. How about Kenta Maeda? The ADP right now is at 53. He's going just behind Tyler Glass now. And I think he is a little bit tougher, not tougher than Glass now, but he is also tough to evaluate because I think that there are obvious pros and cons here for Maeda. He had a legit pitch mix change last year, which uh, supported what he did. The, he posted career highs across the board in terms of skills, swinging strike rate, chase rate, ground ball rate, hard contact allowed. He allowed three earned runs or less in all 11 of his starts, Kenta Maeda. Uh, and then the cons is that you're you're buying a, thir- a soon-to-be 33-year-old pitcher coming off a career year. He had a great schedule last season. And outside of the one start where he had a no-hitter going into the ninth, he did not throw more than 94 pitches in a single start. So, Scott... You are the high man on Kent Maeda. Tell us why. I am the high man, it seems like, throughout the industry. And part of it is just uh, because of guys I'm moving down. I have workload concerns for Walker Bueller, Bueller that we've already covered. I have workload concerns for Jack Flaherty, given his age and, and how much longer he's under team control. Uh, so I think most people would be inclined to draft those guys ahead of Maeda. And I just I, I have bigger workload concerns for them than I do. Maeda. I understand the workload concerns for Maeda. I understand the performance concerns for Maeda, but Maeda was kind of the pitching version of Marcelo Zuna heading into last year where the the supporting numbers made it look like he should have been a lot better than he was. And, you know, the Dodgers were always so weird about how they handled him moving in, him in and out of the bullpen, really never giving him a chance to pitch a third time through the lineup, even though his performance third time through the lineup was pretty good. And so I, I just feel like they, they kind of, he's the rare pitcher they inhibited. Uh, so when, you know, 
taking takeaways from the short season, if it if it confirms something I already believed about a player, I'm more likely to believe it. And that's kind of where I am with Maeda, who had an elite swinging strike numbers. Um, you raise the workload concern, Frank, him, him having low pitch counts throughout that. I think that was partly because he didn't need to throw more pitches than that. Almost all of his starts, all but three were six innings or more. So he was just so efficient that he didn't, he wasn't able to accumulate more pitches than that. I, I think that's more because uh, they didn't want him to pitch more than six innings than because he's only capable of throwing 90 pitches in a start. So I don't even re- worry about that. I, I look at his game log and see all those six inning starts and feel, uh, feel like he's somebody who's going to give you uh, a chance to, he's the kind of pitcher who has a chance to secure a victory every start. Yeah, and I actually don't mind where he's going. So I'd I'd be all right with uh, getting Kenta Maeda as my, uh, I mean, ideally SP3, but if he's your SP2, I think you can do worse than that. Uh, Chris, you mentioned on yesterday's podcast that you are in on Lance Lynn, who is now with the Chicago White Sox, was traded there in the offseason. He finished with a 3-3-2 ERA last season, but his FIP, his XFIP, and his Sierra were all over four. He kind of has this Chris Bryant thing going on where... His underlying numbers are consistently worse than his actual numbers, but he's consistently been solid, and he's a workhorse. So tell everyone uh, why you are excited about Lance Lynn with the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm excited about Lance Lynn. There's not a ton that's terribly <laughs> surpri- uh, exciting about him, um, but that's kind of the point. There, you know, there, He seems about as steady as they come right now. And, you know, one of the ways that he outperforms his peripherals, this was especially true last season, um, but it's always been somewhat true. He does do a good job of limiting damage on batted balls. Uh, he had a 317 X Woba on contact last season. That's uh, obviously elite, but even the year before, uh, that was his highest in the Statcast era, and it was 372. Um, that's pretty good. So, you know, if the strikeout rate, stays in the you know 26% range that it was in 2020, I still think he can be a really solid pitcher. And he's someone who when you when you take into the quality of the quality of contact into account with something like XERA, uh, which baseball savant uses, you know, he does look better there. And so yeah, it's a bet on him being able to sustain that skill set um and you know be I don't know, maybe the favorite to lead the majors in, in innings, if not, you know, certainly one of the few who has a chance to throw 200 innings. I, I think he did lead the regular season in innings. He did. Yes. Yeah. It was like just regular season stats, 84. Um, yeah. I've, I've been tw- like, instinctually, I look at Lance Lynn's numbers and like, this is a guy I would make out to be a bust. I mean, especially compared to that. Huge breakout in 2019. The K per nine was down. The swinging strike rate was down. The XFIP rose to 434. You talk about XERA, which takes into account quality of contact in a way XFIP doesn't. And I'm, I'm generally distrustful of that and distrustful of XERA uh, in general as a, as a predictor stat yeah, uh, as opposed to fair. one that reflects what actually happened. I think, I think XERA reflects what, what already happened better than XFIP does, but it doesn't predict what's to come as well as XFIP does. So I'm kind of scared of that 434 XFIP for Lynn. But ultimately what it comes down to for me is he, he might be, you know, outside of those first round type pitchers, the single pitcher who isn't, you can feel confident, isn't going to have workload concerns coming off the shortened season. He's old. Uh, he's not on a long-term deal. And he just has a history of piling up innings. So, you know, 
if he's even just decent, caper, a strikeout per inning, an ERA, you know, south of four, is probably going to give you a solid return on investment. And I agree on the being skeptical of XERA. Uh, pitchers don't have as much control over their quality of contact as hitters do, but uh, Lancelin actually is kind of Kyle Hendricks-esque in that regard. He has uh, a 359 career ex-Wobon contact. Kyle Hendricks is 349. Kyle Hendricks is the king of that, but um, you know, I, I think it's a legitimate skill for Lancelin. That helps him outperform his peripherals. Uh, let's go into the sixth round and the next three off the board. Corbin Burns at pick 61, Hyunjin Ryu at pick 65, and Max Freed at pick 67. We'll start things off with Corbin Burns, who was phenomenal last year. He finishes the SP12 in Roto, the SP18 in head-to-head points, uh, 211 ERA, 102 whip, 13.3K per nine across 59 and two-thirds innings pitched, um, change up his pitch mix. And the Brewers have already said that they are hoping their starting pitchers jump their innings by 100. So based on last year, I mean, that's going to put him right around 160. If he gives you mid-threes ERA with you know 12K per nine and 160 strikeouts, Corbin Burns is going to be really, really damn good. Chris, I've got to call you out for something. I know you like Ian Anderson, but you haven't yeah. ranked higher than Corbin Burns, and I just... I tried to figure it out and I just, I can't because I, I think if you're worried about the innings for both of them, I just think Corbin Burns is a better pitcher at this point. I don't think I have. Uh, do I have Corbin Burns ranked lower? It might've been head to head in head to head points leagues. I don't know if that okay, matters. Yeah, I do. Uh, you, you, got, you have some really solid pitchers ranked behind Ian Anderson. I know to get Ian Anderson up in your top 25. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not a knock against any of those guys. And maybe I have Ian Anderson a little too high and I, I have no problem moving, uh, you know, those guys around. I, I, I don't think of, uh, you know, rankings as static. I, I look at it more like a an electron cloud where you got a, an area and guys can be in any different part of that area at any given time. Uh, the one thing I, I will say about Corbin Burns, small sample size of his 2020 season. Look up electron clouds. It'll blow your mind. <laughs> they, 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 don't, they don't make sense with our understanding of the physical world. Uh, small sample size on his 2020 success. However, the, small sample, the, the sample of him being you know, the worst pitcher in baseball in 2019 was actually slightly smaller. He faced five more batters in 2020 than he did in 2019. He was the Brewers organizational pitcher of the year in 2017 as a prospect. And he's kind of got the innings in his you know uh track record or at least he's got the workload oh, a long he, time ago though right we're talking well, several years ago 145 in 2017 he was at was a long like time ago at this 2018 yep. he was at 116 but that was making 30 appearances out of the bullpen i think the bigger thing to take away from it is i don't think he has it doesn't seem like there's been a point where he's missed much time in the last four seasons. And given that he's already thrown 145 innings, the fact that he has not had uh, many, if any injury concerns, and just the fact that the stuff is just stupid, dominant might be best in baseball um, makes me buy into Corbin Burns. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I might move him up over Ian Anderson. I think that's fine. Let's get Corbin Burns up the rankings there, Chris. It sounds like you like him. Yeah. If you'll indulge, 
if you and the audience will indulge me for a second, Frank, I wasn't listening when you gave your your tidbit about Corbin Burns's innings and what the Brewers are going to do. What what was that again? Because it's going to impact what I think probably. Okay, so you basically pulled a Frank. You weren't listening while I was talking, which is yeah, fine I because wasn't. I do it Sorry. all the time. But um, so he pitched fifty nine and two thirds last year, and the oh. Brewers have come out and said they want to push their starting pitchers a hundred more innings than they pitched last year. So that would put him on a projection of about 160 for this season. Okay. That, I mean, that's, that's good. that was on the more optimistic end of what I was thinking for sure. So that that helps. I, but my, what the point I was going to make with Corbin Burns is this is where you get into the range of the starting pitcher rankings where uh, it, it really becomes about um, skill versus volume and, and that being a bigger issue than ever before because of the weird season we just had. And Corbin Burns, I mean, you know, 160 is still less than what you want from one of your top pitchers. It's better than 120 or something that I, I was thinking it could be. Uh, so I'm encouraged overall, but it's still it's still not what you're going to get from like, um, you know, a Steven Strasburg provided he stays healthy, a Zach Granke, Kyle Hendricks. These are all guys that I have in the same tier. And obviously, I think Burns is the most talented of that group, but is he going to have the biggest fantasy impact given given the concerns over workload? Uh, I'm not sure. I have I, I don't have all those guys ranked ahead of him. He's kind of in the middle of the, the that list of names I just gave. But I would I would not feel so comfortable with Burns as like my number two. I think he'd have to be my number three at best. I agree. Uh, I, that's exactly what I was going to ask is, you know, how many pitchers do you need to have at this point? Because for me, I need two. Once you start to get into this range of Burns, Ryu, Freed, the next group that we'll talk about, Sonny Gray, Carlos Carrasco, Steven Strasburg, they're all fine pitchers, but they all come with considerable downside and risk as well. So at this point, I need at least two starting pitchers. I'd be looking for one of these guys as my SP3 in a draft. Uh, Scott, we'll stick with you here. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Max Fried going just behind Corbin Burns. What do you think of the price tag here going in the sixth round? So I think Max Fried's overrated. He was one of my favorites last year. Of course, pitches for my favorite team. But um, I think people look at his 7-0 and record. They look at his very low ERA last year, and they think, all right, this guy has arrived as an ace. He had a 225 ERA. There are a couple of reasons I'm not sharing that sentiment. Uh, he had some... Pretty notable skills regression last year in terms of missing bats. You know, it was only 8K per 9. That's certainly not ace caliber. Uh, his XFIP rose to 405 from 332 in 2019 to 405. Uh, and the other requirement, even, even the workload, he wasn't really delivering in that regard. He had four starts that were six innings or more, none seven innings. But you he was basically a five-inning pitcher last year, Max Fried was, so it's kind of amazing he won seven games considering. I don't think he's going to be a bust. Like He's such a good ground ball pitcher, and he's competent at so many other things that I think he's going to be fine. But like him versus Kyle Hendricks, who had more seven-inning starts, he, he tied for the major league lead in seven-inning starts last year. Like I don't know why you would want Freed more than Kyle Hendricks. That does, unless, you're, ever, unless you're just counting on improvement. To. Nobody ever uh, wants Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think nobody, they should more nobody than ever. ever wants Kyle Hendricks. I think they should more than ever now. Um, and I think especially, unless you're thinking Freed is going to get better and I'm willing to bet on that. And I'm not willing to do that. I think uh, statistically he's going to take a step back and he's going to be another young pitcher with workload concerns. 
yeah. he was outlier great on quality of contact last season uh, in a way that he'd never been before. So he, he had to I be think that's the ERA. Um, yeah. You know, like he, his barrel rate in 2019 and 2020 were really good, but 2020 was on a, another level entirely. And if he can't sustain that and given the, the sample size, I think there's definitely concerns about it. Um, I don't know if he has enough swing and miss in his profile to, you know, to sustain the, the improvement that he appeared to make. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu, we haven't really spoke about much, but he has pitched 807 and a third innings in his career. He has a 2.95 ERA and a 116 whip. He fared very well in his first stint with the Blue Jays. Uh, he was a top 21 pitcher in both Roto and head-to-head points. And the Blue Jays will start their season in Dunedin. Dunedin, I got that right now. I got. I know a couple of weeks ago we messed it up royally. But um, in Dunedin, uh, according to Derek Cardi, it is actually slightly more hitter-friendly than uh, Buffalo, where the Blue Jays played last year. I, I just don't think it matters. I mean, Hyunjin Ryu is solid. It's just a matter of him staying on the field. He's yep. turning 34 years old. Um, I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to call him durable yet, but when he's on the mound, he's amazing. So, I, I love getting Hyunjin Ryu. I I wish he was as undervalued this year as he was last year. Yeah, uh, I'm not find I'm not getting him as much as I did then, but. Here's a, here's a fun fact for you. Over the last three seasons, where do you think Hyunjin Ryu ranks among starting pitchers in ERA over the last three years? Got to be number two. Number two behind yeah. Jacob deGrom. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's like yeah. two, three or something. It's out, outrageously low. It, his highest ERA over the last three years was 269 last year. Yeah. The combined number is exactly two, three. Yeah. God, I'm so good. <laughs> uh, let's continue in the sixth round it's a very popular round uh, there are three more starting pitchers going according to ADP over at Fantasy Pros and that includes Sonny Gray at pick 68 Carlos Carrasco who is now with the New York Mets at pick 69 and Steven Strasburg at pick 70 Sonny Gray Chris to me is just he is very confusing because the swinging strike rate does not support as many strikeouts as he gets the walks are always an issue over three walks per nine for five straight seasons. Where are we at on Sonny Gray? Uh, I, I think he's fine. I, I think, you know, one of the problems with drafting him is there. He's one of the f- older guys who you don't really think can get to 180 innings. I don't think he's done that uh, in a normal season in a while. Cause that the, the Reds breakout season even was uh was not that much. I, I think he has not done that since 2015, Chris. Yeah, I think he's really solid. I think he'll get a, a decent number of strikeouts, but you know, I think there's a there's a ceiling, and you know, I don't know. He's fine, Scott. We did a mock. Like, draft. I haven't drafted him yet. Yeah, I was just about to say we did a mock draft today where I, I got Sonny Gray as my SP three in round six, and I had Kershaw and Jack Flaherty as my first two starting pitchers. So. It's not the best, but I didn't. I didn't think it was terrible either. I don't know. I, I don't feel great about Sonny Gray. I don't either. I don't either. Yeah. I mean, it looked like at the start of last year he had picked up where he left off in, with that amazing into 2019, and then suddenly the swinging strikes disappeared, and then he had a back issue, wasn't it? And then when he came back, the swinging strikes weren't back, and. He's just he's just put us through so much. Sonny Gray's put us through so much over the years, jerking us around. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point I'd rather have Zach. We- How much later does Zach Wheeler go? Zach Wheeler is like uh, 25 picks later. Zach Wheeler goes. And I, I think I just, yeah, I just rather take the predictability of Zach Wheeler, uh, than the potential headache of Sonny Gray. I, Sonny Gray clearly has more strikeout potential, but you're going to be fine with Zach Wheeler. I, I think especially if you're talking about as like your number four starter or something, this is... <laughs> I don't disagree, and I, I think I have Zach Wheeler higher than consensus. It is weird that Zach Wheeler's the boring, safe, uh, like... How did we ah, get here? <laughs> just throw him out there, and he'll get a, a mid-three ZRA and throw 190, and it's like, well, he's been that for two years in a row. Uh, he'd never even been close to that before. And he missed like two full seasons recovering from Tommy John surgery. And even the two good seasons, it's been like wildly fluctuating style. Uh, but I do agree with you. It's just, it's weird that we feel it's that three seasons him. in a row. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Three. If we're, counting, full, if we're real, counting the really short one, two yeah. real seasons where he, okay. two seasons where he's done the, he hasn't quite reached 200 innings, but he's been like right at the cusp, I think. Yeah. Um, 180, yeah, 182, 195, 71 yeah. last year. Yeah, Zach Wheeler is 12th in innings pitched since 2018. So that's that's pretty good. But we're for, jumping way ahead in ADP to get yeah. to him, which is kind of my point. Like I, yeah. I think I think Sonny Gray down, belongs down at his level. And yet we're talking about Sonny Gray alongside Carlos Carlos Garasco is right behind Sonny Gray in ADP. And I like Carlos Garasco so much more. Yeah, we're all pretty excited, I believe, on Carrasco. Scott has him at SP15. I have him at SP16. Chris has him at SP16. So we are all in alignment there. We have him higher than ADP. Uh, And Carrasco, his first six starts in 2020 were a little shaky, which I think is somewhat expected. He was coming back from uh, leukemia the year before in 2019. Um, But a 4.50 ERA, 15 walks in those first six starts, Four and a half walks per nine. That's not what we're used to seeing from Carrasco. And then his final six starts, he was like Carrasco of old. 166 ERA, 103 whip. He went at least six innings in each of those starts. He went seven innings in twice of uh, in two of those. Um, got the walks down to 2.8 per nine. Swinging strike rate was right where it needs to be. The velocity was right where it needs to be. I love Carrasco. I mean, I, I, I guess there's risk for someone at his age, Scott, but... So you can say There's that. risk for every pitcher. I think like, you can say that about anyone, yeah. Right. A- age age is like pitcher is the one position where I don't worry about how old they are that much because it's like there are so many things that could take a player down. And unless they're showing signs of decline, um, you know, pitchers tend... Uh, I, I just don't think that's as big of a concern there as it is at some other position because it's, you know, there are so many risk factors anyway. Um yeah, I mean, Carras- I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the concern would be for Carrasco after what he showed last year. The stuff was completely intact. His ability to work deep into games was completely intact. Everything seemed fine. Everything seemed fine. And I, I say that as a guy who was really concerned about uh, how he'd how he'd recover from that leukemia battle, how he'd uh, reacclimate himself as a starting pitcher, and and I was just blown away by it and. So given his track record, his stability from year to year, guy who pitches a lot of innings and gets a lot of strike, like he seems exactly the sort of player we should be elevating heading, you know, coming off that weird season where we don't really know what to expect from so many pitchers. Carrasco, um, 
Carrasco, I feel very secure with. And now he goes to the National League where he doesn't have to face the DH anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, so that improves that, his ERA chances too. That yeah. only helps him. Uh, the season before he had leukemia, which you kind of give him a pass for because of the workload there, he went 192 in 2018 and 200 innings in 2017. So yeah, I agree. I think we can uh, depend on Carrasco for workload. Steven Strasburg, Chris, I know that you, I believe you're interested in Steven Strasburg. And year in and year out, his ADP is like a roller coaster. So it's like one year he gets hurt and he burns you. You draft him early that year, he gets hurt, he burns you. The next year you get him at a discount, he's awesome. Then you draft him high again the next year, he gets hurt that year. You you get him at a discount the following year. Uh, You look at his ADP the last five years, starting in 2017, 52, then 25, 59, then 29. That was last year. And now he's down at 70. So I don't usually include emails here, but we got this one from Scott in Chicago and I thought it was useful. Uh, He wrote in Maria Torres, who covers the nationals for the athletic reported this on Strasburg's carpal tunnel surgery quote, the 15 minute procedure immediately ended the numbness. He felt in his right thumb and hand. He hasn't had issues since because of the extra in this case, shortened season, he began his full off season program early and is a full go in camp. So, like everyone else that we're talking about here, Chris, if you get Strasburg as your SP3, I don't really think there's much downside. Yeah, I, I think the... Pro- and look, I, I think you can just look at his ADP over those years and kind of guess which years I've liked Steven Strasburg and which years <laughs> I haven't. The most profitable thing you could do in fantasy baseball over the last four years, seemingly, has been fade Steven Strasburg when his ERA is, his ADP is high and buy him when it's low. This year, it's a, a, a much bigger question mark because we don't really have a track record of starting pitchers coming back from, you know, a carpal tunnel type of uh, injury and procedure that doesn't sound like it was a serious procedure. It was 15 minutes. That seems, you know, I don't know how long it takes to do sutures, but that seems like a pretty short time. Um but I just don't know. Like I, I legitimately, yeah. it's just an unknown. I, I have him as SP 17. So I am more likely to draft Steven Strasburg than, uh, than most people. I think he's 59th in my overall rankings. Generally my starting pitchers are lower than mm-hmm. the ADP. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth the gamble because he should be really good if he's okay. Um, those were two very encouraging sentences to me, the ones you read off there, Frank, because <laughs> it does really downplay the procedure and, and how quickly he bounced back from it and the immediacy of him regaining the feeling. It like That kind of makes me want to move him up to just behind Brandon Woodruff, I think. Yeah. I don't know that it really benefits me to do that before I see him yeah. make a spring start. Like, you know, if, if, if he's throwing like Strasburg... That that should relieve a lot of concerns right there too. Yeah the the ADP will skyrocket if he looks all right in the spring. If he looks normal, Strasburg, he's pumping ninety three, ninety four. The breaking stuff looks all right, no issues. You're going to see his ADP jump up to like the fourth round. Um, but that is something to pay attention to throughout spring with Steven Strasburg. We get into the seventh round now in ADP. Zach Plesac at pick seventy eight, Kyle Hendricks at pick seventy nine, and Jose Berrios at pick eighty one. We heard from Chris yesterday, who had Zach Plesac as a bust. 
But for Plesak, last season he averaged 21.4 fantasy points per game. That was third best among starting pitchers. But of course, it came with a super small sample size, just eight starts in a really strong schedule for Zach Plesak. So Scott, I know that you're a fan of Plesak. I will give you the next minute, starting right now, to tell everyone why. So it's it's kind of it's kind of an upside argument for Plesak. Basically, there are very few starting pitchers that I think perform up to a standard that makes them makes them worthwhile. And very few pitchers every year perform up to that standard these days. Plesak was the second best pitcher in head-to-head points per game last year. And part of the reason he accomplished that is because of how deep he was pitching into games. He went seven innings or more, more consistently than any pitcher. He only ha- he didn't have a single start where he went less than six innings. Uh, he was an elite strike thrower. The walk rate was down. He, he actually changed his pitch mix in a, in a significant way. He, he kind of remade himself as a pitcher, which, um, you know, for... It, it helps me believe the skills improvement over a small sample more. I wish it was a bigger sample, obviously. I'd, I'd feel more comfortable if it was, but I like that he has already shown, if he is good, if it was le- more or less legitimate, obviously he's not going to have a 220 ADRA again, but if he has a 320 ADRA, you know, if it was more or less legitimate, um, we know he's going to be a guy who takes on a big workload from start to start, puts himself in a position for wins, really makes those ratios hold up and um, or, or play up, I should say. And yeah, that's just, that's like, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think the risk is worth the reward at this point, I guess. Mercy. 30 seconds over your time limit, Scott. How dare you? Chris, <laughs> remind everyone, I will give you uh, a chance to rebut Scott's love for Zach Plesek. Uh He was 404th overall in ADP a year ago, and he made eight starts against five different teams, all of whom were in the AL or NL Central. You can keep your time. <laughs> I do want to add. I, I do want to make one other point that I think re- is really what sold me completely on Plesak. So he came out of the gate with three awesome starts, the caliber of what they all ended up being last year, right? And then remember, he got sent down to the minors for a month for violating team rules. A month. A really contentious situation. Like, if, if there's going to be something that throws a guy off his game, it's that. And yet he came back twirling those exact same kind of starts that he did in the first. Well, so it wasn't it wasn't a momentum situation. It wasn't it wasn't anything like that. He he actually uh, his season was derailed, and yet he picked up right where he left off. I mean, the strikeout rate was way lower, and I'm pretty sure the swinging strike rate was lower as well. He had an 11 strikeout game. Right, he had the one, but his overall strikeout rate was 25.5 percent. I believe it was. Uh, Gosh, I'm not going to do that over the, on the top of my head, but it was close to 30 percent uh, before that. I, I just look I, I, like I'm being overly dismissive. I have him as my SP 30, so I, I don't. It's not like I hate Zach Plezak. Uh I just we don't know. Like, yes, there were pitch mix changes and all this. We don't know what it looks like when the league adjusts to him because the league hasn't had a chance to adjust to him. Of course, and we don't know. We have a long track know. record of him being fine perfectly fine like I, seventh guy in your organization while being old for every minor league level and I just everything rides on those eight innings. Those I, eight I, starts. 
But yeah, yeah, if you agree with Scott, then you're going to be willing to draft Plesak. Uh, if you're more like Chris, then you're probably not going to wind up with him this season. Uh, Kyle Hendricks seems like he's getting a little bit more respect, maybe not the full respect that he deserves. The ERA for Kyle Hendricks over the last five seasons, 2.13, 3.03, 3.44, 3.46, and 2.88 last season. He has never had a whip higher than 1.19. I think people just push him down the board because he doesn't get a bunch of strikeouts, but that's fine. I mean, if you know how to construct your roster to, to get Kyle Hendricks, then you should be all right. But um, projection systems don't like him. That's a big part of it too, is that everyone's default rankings start with him so low because projection systems never like him because he always outperforms his peripherals. Yeah. I mean, I trust it at this point. It was someone who's end at some point, but yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to end uh, at least this cup upcoming season. Jose, I, I, I'll, I just want to throw in one, one reason why I like Hendricks more now than in years past. I think I think David Ross handles him. Like Joe Madden had weird issues with Hendricks and he would pull him really early in games just randomly. Like as famously happened in the World Series, right? There was a lot of that over over uh, Joe Madden's tenure with the uh, with the Cubs and and David Ross didn't seem to to play those games with Kyle Hendricks. So that that's part of it too. Uh, yeah, for Kyle Hendricks, he made 12 starts last season. He went six plus in 10 of them. So it's pretty impressive, especially, and man, he had his final four starts. He went seven and two thirds or more in all four of them. That is just, that is insane for Kyle Hendricks. Jose Barrios, we haven't really spoke much about. I think he's kind of boring at this point. The velocity spike was interesting last year. His uh, 94.3 mile per hour Fastball velocity was a career high for Jose Barrios, uh, but it, I think at this point we know who he is. He's like a mid to high three ZRA. He has the ninth most innings since 2018, so he kind of fits that workhorse mold. Uh, Chris, are you? Is anyone excited to draft Jose Barrios? I don't know. Uh, he's. This is a comp I've made a few times. He's he's kind of like a sexier Kyle Hendricks. He doesn't have nearly the control <laughs> Kyle Hendricks does, but the biggest way Berea stands out is by limiting quality of contact. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's been overrated for most of his career as a fantasy player. And I think now he's properly rated. So the who, worst argument Chris and I have ever had on this show was over Jose Barrios, but I, I was uh, right. You were right. As I was about to say, I, I concede <laughs> to Chris that I don't all think there's it takes any is four here. years of evidence for Scott to concede a point to me. That's all <laughs> um, it takes. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Chris, between you compared Jose Barrios and Kyle Hendricks, who would you rather have between the two? I have Kyle Hendricks 10 spots higher in the overall ranking. So Kyle Hendricks, Alrighty. two spots in the pitcher ranking. Just want to quickly promote a few things. Thanks to everyone who is watching. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can hit that little bell. So every time we go live, you get a notification. That's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. And make sure you follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash CBS Sports Sports HQ. Uh, go join our Facebook group and be part of our community of fans who are interacting each and every day. In fact, a gentleman named Brian Williams called Chris Towers the, quote, basher of brevity today. Would you like to defend yourself, Chris? I mean, listen to my Zach Klezak rebuttal. <laughs> You can have the rest of your time. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> you can also be part of our weekly Q&As. We've been doing Scott Mondays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I am on our Facebook group at Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Chris, Wednesdays at 9 p.m. 
Eastern time. That's facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. If you're watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you're listening to the podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll have more ADP next. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. If you're looking for a podcast adventure, check out Dumb Dumbs and Dragons, a podcast where improvisers and comedians who've never role-played before journey into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Dumb Dumbs and Dragons has been featured on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, ranked number two of all fiction podcasts in America, and has been downloaded more than four million times. Dumb Dumbs and Dragons can be discovered anywhere hilarious podcasts can be found. It's like Lord of the Rings, if everyone was an idiot. Alrighty, we move on to the eighth round of a 12-team league in ADP. This is according to Fantasy Pros, of course. Three more going off the board. Denelson Lamette at pick 85, Zach Wheeler at pick 93, and Zach Granke, the two Zachs here, at pick 97. Scott, you spoke about Denelson Lamette yesterday, who you have as a bust, and he was awesome last year. He was a top 10 pitcher in both head-to-head points leagues and Roto. The guy was absolutely ridiculous, but... He dealt with biceps tightness towards the end of last season. Again, this is Denelson Lamette, and that is on the same arm that he's already had Tommy John surgery on. So he's kind and, of kind of a ticking time bomb. He showed up to spring training saying if he had continued pitching last season, doctors told him he would have likely needed Tommy John surgery again. I think that is if if you weren't already scared, that should be enough to do it, right? Because it wasn't. It obviously wasn't a long season. It wasn't a full length season that he was trying to make it through. So, um, I just, I'm sure there is a point where if Lamette fell far enough, I would take him. I just, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening. Uh, he's might be the pitcher I'm least likely to draft at this point. Too scared. Yeah. Too scared. I, um, I'm also just not sure he's that good. Yeah, like, I, I, like he's definitely not two oh nine ERA good, but this, we're talking about a one pitch pitcher. He's got a fastball that he throws really hard, but it doesn't get whiffs. Uh, it gets hit really hard. He like he was someone who had really bad uh, quality of contact numbers before uh, twenty twenty was last year. Um, so I just there is like zero margin for error for him. We've seen pitchers find great success throwing a slider as often as he yeah. does, which I think is more than half the time. But that, like, year, yeah. there aren't many pitches that are more taxing on the elbow than the slider, and obviously for it to be effective, you have to throw it with a lot of conviction. We've heard about pitchers coming off elbow injuries and being kind of scared to throw their slider. We saw it with Griffin Canning last year. So it's like, that's an, that's another reason why, you know, even if even if Lamette makes it, it's, it's just something else to worry about. Denelson Lamette threw his slider 53% of the time last year. That was by far the most among qualified starting pitchers. Clayton Kershaw was the next closest he threw his slider 40% of the time. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of absurd how much Denelson Lamette used it last year. Scott, who do you prefer between the Zachs, Zach Wheeler and Zach Greinke? I think I prefer Greinke. Double-checking my rank. Yeah, I prefer Greinke by a few spots. Uh, definitely a higher-end track record there. 
I do. I do work. Zach Granke is what, 38 now, 37? He is 37, 37. years old. Yep. Yeah. Um, and his velocity was down again last year. And it was like really down, Scott. So yeah. in 2019, 90 miles per hour on his fastball, which already is not great. Last year, it was 87 miles per hour. And, and before people say, well, oh, he's a slow starter. This always happens to him. His velocity in his first 12 starts in 2019, 89.4 miles per hour. So... This yeah. was like way lower yeah. than we've seen. I, I, yeah, and and like I every spring it was kind of a joke. Zach Greinke would come in throw an eighty four, and everybody would freak out, and then it would be fine. Um, so, you know, the fact that his ERA jumped from two ninety three to four hundred three, along with that drop in velocity, it makes it harder to defend that drop in velocity. And yet, his xFIP was three fifty one, completely in line with the past few years. I'm inclined to believe he's okay. Uh, obviously I'm not ranking him in my top 15 the way I would have every year in the past. So I, I have some concerns, but I think where he's going, there's not really, there's, you don't, you don't have to worry about the downside so much based on where he's going. Anything you'd like to money, add, Chris? Money printer go burr. Draft Zach Greinke. The money printer has been going burr for like a decade. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Like if you look at his like underlying numbers, no, they're all in he line with like, where he's been. They're, you would not know that he lost three miles per hour on his fastball. And so that makes me wonder why I should care. Yeah. Like if no, it didn't really make him less effective, ERA aside, you know, all the component parts, I just like, I don't know. It's Zach Greinke. It's I, a very good point. It's a very good point. It, I know the experience of having Zach Greinke and, 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 contending with that 403 ERA, uh, you know, it was disappointing. It was the first time I felt disappointed in Zach Greinke, what he did for my fantasy team, you know? And so you look at that ER, you look at the velocity and you're like, All right, maybe this is the beginning of the end, but you're right. ERA is not normally a number we, uh, we value on the same level of those other ones that look totally fine for Greinke. So... Especially in 67 innings, because the yeah, ERA is exactly. so volatile. Exactly. Yeah. You're kind of making me the, think I'm too low on Granky. He was good in the playoffs, too, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm not going to own much Zach Granky this year. I'm. It's kind of like my Max Scherzer. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain consistent with my anti-oldies. Uh, Zach Wheeler is someone that I actually do like. We mentioned him uh, at least five and two-thirds in all 11 starts last season. And uh, people might be worried about the strikeouts. His K per nine was under seven last year, which is, it looks gross. But his 10.8% uh, swinging strike rate was actually a career high. So I would expect the strikeouts to bounce back a little bit for Zach Wheeler. Uh, he also had a career high 56% ground ball rate, which you like to see, especially pitching in, uh, in Citizens Bank Park. We move just past pick 100 now in ADP. And we get to Jesus Lozardo at pick 101. Ian Anderson at pick 102 and Chris Paddock at pick 103. Uh, Chris, I know that you are a big fan of Ian Anderson. Jesus Lazardo, we were also excited about him last year. He managed to stay healthy, but did not really deliver. And I kind of feel like the A's are going to continue to kind of handle him with kids' gloves this season. So I'm a little tentative when it comes to Lazardo. Yeah, I've got him around this range. He's SP32 for me. He's, what, SP31 in ADP. 
Um, I think there's a chance he just breaks out and has an awesome season and we just kind of look silly for not being as excited as we should have been because uh, the fundamentals of what we liked about Jesus Lazardo haven't changed. If anything, we should feel more confident that he can be a really good major league pitcher uh, after you know watching him be good, but also you know I think the workload was a little better than I thought it would be. He threw ninety oh, yeah. pitches uh, a handful of times. This is someone who I think in his entire professional career and presumably going back to high school uh, had thrown ninety pitches one time in a. Uh, professional start before last season. He did it four times, including I think once on his like third start or something like that. So um, I, I'm pretty excited about Jesus Lazardo. Scott, who do you I expected more strikeouts? It's the only thing I, I thought that was going to be a cinch for him getting strikeouts, good three pitch mix. Um, but you know, for a rookie season, it obviously wasn't bad. Uh, Chris, who, uh, Scott, who do you prefer between Ian Anderson and, Jesus Lozardo, because it kind of feels like we might have workload concerns for both of them. So yeah, kind of lump sure. them together here. I mean, you you would normally for a pitcher just beginning his career, they were both rookies last year. And I put Sixto Sanchez. It's really kind of a group of three uh, second-year pitchers who pitched great as rookies. Ian Anderson was obviously the best. Ian Anderson showed the most strikeout potential. Ian Anderson is the one I like the most. I, I do like Ian Anderson a lot. Not quite as much as Chris does because I think there's virtually no chance he throws more than a, like I'd be surprised if he got to 150 innings. Ian Anderson, um, but like he dominated a lot of really strong lineups as a as a rookie, and he the only thing it could really point to as a problem are the walks for Ian Anderson, but. I, I rarely do the eye test thing, but I saw a lot of Ian Anderson starts last year, and it's just you, you come you come away from an Ian Anderson start feeling better about his control because while the walk rate may have been high, he featured both of his secondary pitchers like he threw his fastball less than half the time. He was throwing yeah. his changeup thirty percent of his time, the curveball twenty percent of the time. It's rare to see a young pitcher with that much confidence in his pitches, and he was so in command with them, like the way he dropped that loopy curveball in for a strike. Uh, all like I saw him do that so often. It was, it is just, it, you don't see that from a young pitcher very often. And then the changeup we talked yesterday is just Luis Castillo level in terms of getting whiffs. And he doesn't have the injury track record of Sixto Sanchez or especially Jesus Lazardo. Yeah. Yep. So that's a feather in the cap there for one Ian Anderson. Chris Paddock is my pitcher version of Austin Meadows. I'm, I'm going to have a lot of shares of Chris Paddock this year, and it's really just betting on talent for me. He regressed big time in 2020. A lot of it had to do with his fastball. According to AJ Casavell, who covers the Padres for MLB.com, Paddock was getting two-seam run on his fastball last year, which, which caused the pitch to leak over the heart of the plate more frequently, and it got hit hard. His batting average against, his slugging percentage against, it was all way up on his fastball, on Paddock's fastball last year versus in 2019. So he basically went from being a two-and-a-half pitch pitcher as a rookie to a one-pitch pitcher. He only had his changeup working last season. So um, considering what the Padres were able to get out of Denelson Lamette in his fastball, I think that they're going to be able to, to get Paddock back on track there, and I would expect something closer to his rookie year, maybe like a mid-threes ERA, a really good whip, 
over a strikeout per inning. Obviously, good run support with the Padres. So I don't know where you guys are at on, on Paddock, but just in general, I'm I'm higher on him versus ADP. Yeah, and those are all good points. And I don't know. I he was so bad last year. I I've been reluctant to move him up. I do have him higher than his ADP. I know I have him ahead of Ian Anderson and and Jesus Lizardo. I have him ahead of that group. I have him like where Barrios is. But it always seems like somebody in the draft's higher on Paddock than I am, so I've just never really had to think about drafting him. I wish the changeup was better. Yeah. Like you mean, so you mean far, the, the changeup's just what? You mean the curveball, Chris? No, no, the changeup. Like he doesn't have the Luis Castillo changeup. And Castillo has a better fastball and a better third pitch. So like the changeup's been good, but it doesn't get a ton of whiffs. Um, is that kind so, of diminishing returns because he throws it so much, Paddock? I don't know how much he threw it last he throws year. It, he threw it 31% last year. He doesn't really throw it all yeah. that much. Um, so just for that's a lot, context, but it's not I mean, like 50%. Yeah, yeah. The small the small sample size caveats apply, but Ian Anderson was at 40% last season. Um, okay. And so, you know, that's usually where Castillo's is. And so I think he'll be better. I have him one spot in the pitcher rankings ahead of his ADP or his where his ADP is in the pitcher rankings, but I, I don't think I've drafted him this year. Uh, this is kind of like the cutoff for me where usually I like to have four of my top 30 starting pitchers. I think Paddock is maybe right at 30 for me or right inside my top 30. So he is the one where I, I, I like to have four starting pitchers at this point in the draft. Like. My cutoff includes the next two in ADP, Frank. Well, let's talk about those two. We're getting into the round 9-10 range here. Framber Valdez at pick 104, Dylan Bundy at pick 110, and then Charlie Morton at pick 116. Scott, I know that you are a big fan of Framber Valdez. So look at you, man. You're buying the small sample size pitchers, Framber Valdez and Zach Plesak. How about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the cost makes it easy to do. The cost is... Um, it's kind of like what I was saying for Plesak. If they are as good as they showed last year, then they're going to be a great value here, and and they're definitely going to be they're going to be among the group of pitchers that are the most valuable assets in fantasy. For Framber Valdez, there's two things I love about him. Far and away, the best ground ball pitcher last year, and really all the times we've seen him at, in the past, that was something Valdez was really good at. It's why I flirted with him in fantasy even prior to last year. Uh, he just had some inconsistencies, some control issues that did not bring him down finally for the first time last year. And for being such a ground ball pitcher, the fact he gets a strikeout per inning, more than a strikeout per inning, you don't see that a lot from people who are that good at getting ground balls. The other thing I like about Framber Valdez is that, you know, we've talked, I, I think I mentioned Kyle Hendricks tied for the major league lead in number of seven inning starts last year. He tied with you, Darvish, and he tied with Framber Valdez. And I don't know if it's going to lead to harm problems down the road for Framber Valdez, but clearly Dusty Baker likes getting length out of him. And that is that is half the battle for starting pitchers these days. There's performance, and then there's getting getting length out of your starts. And uh, we know Framber Valdez has that second box checked. So if, if he can keep the walks down and, and pick up where he left off last year, he's going to be very valuable at this stage of the draft. I often get him as my number five guy. So, you know... I can live with him failing at that point. And if he doesn't fail, he's going to be really valuable for me. Scott, that last if that you brought up for Framber Valdez is probably the biggest caution of mine when it comes to him is the walks because he has struggled 
quite a bit with him in the past. I also wonder, you know, if the curveball is not working, his curveball is nasty. It's it's filthy. Mm-hmm. But if the curveball isn't working, does he have anything else that he can go to? That's something I also worry about uh, with Framber Valdez. But as long as he's healthy, I do think he is going to go deep into his starts. Yeah. Uh, for I, I, I did want to mention with Bundy, too. Go ahead. Um, because we saw his home run rate drop significantly going from the AL East to the AL West, small parks to big parks generally. You know, he's not going to make every start in the AL West this year, of course. And so, you know, I, I wonder if that's... I, I have concerns that it's... Um, too much is riding on that home run rate and and things could go wrong with it pretty quickly. But but if the ball is deader this year, then maybe that's not even something to worry about. I know the average length on Dylan Bundy's home runs last year, um, it, it, it makes, I don't remember what it was, but it makes that case stronger too. Yeah, it depends on how much the growth in the quality of contact skill was real in 2020 uh, because he's always gotten hit pretty hard um, and in the air a lot. And uh, the thing for me is he kind of started looking like Dylan Bundy again after those four first four starts. Um, first four starts were unbelievably good. 35 strikeouts and four starts. It was uh, 28 innings. After that, it was a strikeout per inning, but a 462 ERA, um, with not really an out of control Babbitt, but it was three fourteen. I just he allowed five home runs all season though. Like the the problem yeah, the for Bundy before were, last year yeah. was always home runs. Yeah, no, the home. I just I think he did have a are, couple. He did have a couple of shaky starts down the stretch. That well, I just think people are looking at him as like a much better strikeout pitcher than he probably will be. Okay, and I think yeah. that's like I think he's probably more like a slightly above average strikeout pitcher. And if people are looking at him. Yeah. Like more than a slightly above strikeout pitcher, then I think they're all, I agree they're making a mistake. But I, I don't think the ADP would suggest that they're looking at him that way. Yeah. I, he's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I can't bring myself to draft Dylan Bundy as a top 36 starting pitcher. Yeah. I'm, I'm closer to you there, Chris. I have him as a bust. You can find my bust 2.0 over on the website, cbsports.com. Um, Final eight starts, you mentioned it, 4.62 ERA, and he stopped using his slider as much. His, his slider usage went down. It went from 30% in his first four starts, 22% over his final eight. And the slider is is far and away Bundy's best pitch. But there were starts last year where I was watching it, and he just he didn't have his slider. And if he doesn't have his slider, it's like his fastball is 90 miles per hour. His changeup is good, but I, I just I don't yeah. think it's good enough for him to overcome his slider not being on. So... That's just what I saw when I, I watched him pitch a few times down the stretch, and I really didn't like what I saw. So uh, I'm I'm really not a fan of him going in this range as well. The the last name in this group is Charlie Morton. I'm I just I don't know how much he has left at 37 years old. He looked awesome in the postseason, but he also dealt with a shoulder injury earlier in the in the regular season that affected his production, and it also affected his velocity. So where do you kind of come out here on, on Charlie Morton, Scott? Oh, you're going to me. I thought you were going to go to Chris. Now that's fine. Um, Charlie Morton. Okay, so I got to go to Chris because I got a good number I want to find. Well, and Chris, I get to find it quickly enough. Where are you on Charlie Morton this season? Uh, I think you can probably guess. He was really, really good before 2020. He had a bad 2020. So I like Charlie Morton more than, than the consensus. I have him as a top 30 starting pitcher. Injuries are a real concern for a 36, 37 year old, something like that. 37. Um, I think the 
the stuff is still good enough, even if his velocity is a little bit diminished. Um, and he'll be pitching in the NL with presumably no DH and great, great support behind him. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why I haven't been more enthusiastic about drafting him because I agree with everything you're saying. And gosh, I think it's just the, awesome. the innings. Uh, Thirty, he's, like he's probably he's one of the few veterans who you don't expect to be a reliable deep pitcher. All right, so this is this is the number I wanted to give you. So for the year, Charlie Morton had a 4.74 ERA, 1.39 WHIP during the regular season, a little more than a strikeout per inning. 4.74, 1.39, a little more than a strikeout per inning. But after his IL stint for shoulder soreness, if you take his regular season numbers and postseason numbers combined after that IL stint, 3.48 ERA. 123 whip, 10.5 K per nine. Basically old Charlie, Charlie Moore, Moore, right? I yeah, mean, that whip seems a little high, but otherwise really, really high in numbers there. But we're also, I mean, Chris, you hit on it, but like a 37-year-old with a shoulder injury, it's just, you know, it's there is a lot of concern there. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter much when his ADP is 116. So, I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's much lower than it, where it, he's been in years past, but... If the split was backward, though, you know, it'd be different. If this, if he has served an IL stint for a shoulder surgery and then he comes back and he doesn't look great, shoulder then, okay, maybe his shoulder's still messed up. But yeah. he, it, like the IL stint righted him, which means, which suggests to me the shoulder injury was solved at that point. I mean, obviously he could get hurt again, but it would. I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't really link. I, I don't really consider that specific injury to be a factor anymore. Uh, let's wrap up with this final group it feels like we just started talking like how are we already an hour in this is Look, I, can, I can keep going it's crazy man I, it's, I got water i'm good <laughs> uh the next three this these come in rounds 10 and 11 julio arias at pick 117 lance mccullers at pick 125 and patrick corbin at pick 127 uh chris julio arias kind of similar i think what we're expecting in terms of uh the workload, obviously, he pitches for the Dodgers, similar to someone maybe like Jesus Lazardo or Ian Anderson, where we don't really know what we're going to get. The Dodgers have a lot of depth, of course. And um, Julio Arias was not very good in the regular season. And then he was awesome in the postseason, where he mostly pitched out of the bullpen. So where do you come out on uh, Julio Arias for 2021? I will be extraordinarily excited about Julio Arias when he when the Twins trade for him in 2025. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, I just, yeah. I don't think they're ever going to let him be a, a normal starting pitcher. I think he's going to be really good uh, while he's out there, but uh, the upside is very capped despite how good I think he will be. And I think his 320 career ERA, you know, tells the story of how good he is. This feels like the ultimate fool's gold pick at this position because I see some people who are so excited to draft Julio Arias, and I think, I think, I think they're just they're putting their scout hat on and only looking at the talent itself and not really factoring how the usage is probably going to be for him. And Chris is absolutely right in that regard, especially since they're having to kick Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin out of the rotation. Like those guys are going to make starts this year, and it you know bumping Arias out from time to time is probably how that's going to happen. Not to mention all the four inning outings, the five inning outings Arias is probably going to have. It's just, yeah, it's not enough reward. I will add this. I may need to dethrone Kyle Hendricks as the 
king of the quality of contact uh, kingdom. Fight them. <laughs> uh, Kyle Hendricks is at 349 X Wobacontact for his career. Uh, X Wobacon. Uh, Julio Arias is 329. So, like, you look at him and the strikeout rate could be better. Uh, but man, he does not get hit hard. And, and, you know, it's a small ish sample size, but it's been consistent over, you know, roles and, and seasons. Since you brought up the strikeout rate, <laughs> it was awesome in the postseason. Yeah. He looked, he was overpowering, Arias was in the postseason, which makes me think too, like, because they have that rotation surplus, might that be his better role for the Dodgers? I mean, it sounds like he has a leg up in the rotation battle, Arias does, but. I just there's so many there's so many ways that could go and I don't I, I think the outcome where he's just a regular starting pitcher going every fifth day flirting with six innings I think that's the least likely of the outcomes. I kind of think it would be fun if he just like threw three innings every third game. <laughs> yeah, I was going like, to say would it would it surprise any, every anyone if we wound up with like a tandem starting pitcher where he goes three or four innings and then Dustin May comes in for three to four innings? I I don't think that would surprise anybody. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would. That's really hard mentally. Is the the only <laughs> thing I would say. Um, and and uh, so I don't know if guys are willing to do that for more than a few turns in a rotation. But I think either way, you know, it, there's there's not much upside for Urias from an inning standpoint. If people needed more reasons as to why I am drafting pitching early, you've kind of heard it throughout this entire podcast. Like, there's just not a lot of pitchers that I like going in this range. I had not liked the last group that much. I really don't like this group. Scott, I mean, can, is there anything that you like about Lance McCullers at pick 125 or Patrick Corbin at 127? McCullers was fine last year. He kind of is the pitcher he's always been, but he has not ever thrown more than 128 innings in a season before. And uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Corbin just led the MLB in hits allowed. And whip hit a 1.57 yeah. whip. Think about how bad well, that is for Patrick Corbin. It, if Arias is the ultimate fool's gold pick at this position, Corbin is the ultimate boomer bust pick, sink or swim pick, whatever you want to call it. Because like, it, and we should know pretty early on if he's if his velocity's back in spring training and and his awful year was just a case of you know strange build up to a strange season, uh, which I think is a viable possibility, but. You know, if the velocity is not back in spring training, I'm, I'm probably going to be completely out on Patrick Corbin. And if it is back in spring training, I might be moving him up 15 to 20 spots, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of where I am with him. Chris looks like he wants to say something. Well, I just don't, I don't know if the fastball velocity really matters. I remember in 2018 well, when he got off to that incredible start and he was throwing almost he was averaging almost 93 miles per hour with his fastball. And then his fastball velocity cratered. He averaged 89.5 miles per hour. Uh, in May, and I remember saying, like, oh, this is a warning sign. He's either going to get hurt or be less effective. And, you know, he got back to 92 by the end of the season, but for the most part, he wasn't throwing particularly hard and it didn't matter. So he dropped to 89 that year. What did he drop to last year? Uh, 90. Okay. So, about, hmm. well, he was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible. And the yeah. biggest difference seemed to be the fastball velocity. So, yeah, no, uh, the fastball know. was just much less effective overall. Uh, yeah, and it but, and it kind of it made everything play down. I mean, his swinging strike rate went from forty fourteen percent in twenty nineteen. It was 
It was 10.6%. I mean, that is a huge, huge drop. So I do want to, I, I did want to comment on McCullers though. Um, I, I actually think he's being kind of, he's kind of post hype right now and being undervalued, especially after he got back to featuring his curveball about 50% of the time last year. Uh, coming off injury, he seemed reluctant to throw it that much, but he started throwing it that way again. And like we've always seen good strikeout rates from him. We've always seen elite ground ball rates from him. It's been a durability issue, clearly. But I, I think the best is yet to come from McCullers, and I value him about on the level of like a Jesus Lazardo, a little behind that, uh, but about on that level. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much difference between Lance McCullers and Denelson Lamette. That's probably... Fair to say. I, I will say if if you draft McCullers as your SP four, SP five, I for me I would hope he's my SP five, but just you know, make sure yeah. that your other pitchers are are safer for innings pitch because I mean again, we just haven't seen him throw more than 128 in his career. So um, you know, even if you want to project optimistically for McCullers, it's probably 150, I would say. So just keep that in mind when drafting one. Lance McCullers. All right, we're going to wrap there. Uh, didn't get to as many starting pitchers as I wanted to, but again, next week we'll have our relief pitcher preview on Monday, and then Tuesday we'll do a little bit of a position preview recap of everything, and we'll also hit on the rest of the starting pitchers that we didn't get to today. We'll also have a mailbag that's coming out this Saturday in the feed, so if you've asked a question recently uh, via email or Apple Podcast Review, Make sure you listen to that podcast, or if you just want to listen to it to, to support us anyway, we would appreciate it. All right, so for Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.